In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last night here in the sanctuary, I had the privilege of uh, performing a wedding for John Toll and Carrie Stevenson. Both are members of the family of faith, very wonderful people. John grew up here, and I've watched him since he was a little child running all over this church. And so when you come to those kind of moments and you get to look back through time, it it really does create some, some special feelings as you go back and look through all that kind of time. And doing their wedding and thinking about this commitment they were making, and all that the future may bring. It made me also think about the fact that this coming January the 4th, Marsh and I will be married 45 years. And you think about all those memories you've made through those 45 years. And I've been thinking about how we went about trying to celebrate different anniversaries, and I got to thinking about on our 30th wedding anniversary, pre-grandchildren, we all decided to go up to Vail, Colorado, 
It was Jack and Margaret Harris, wonderful members of this family of faith, now in the kingdom of heaven. They were the ones who, who gave us the opportunity to go up and use their condo in Vail. And so it was Paul and Krista and Kelly and Andy and Marsh and I, we, we went up and we went skiing and, and then we went out to eat every night at all these fancy places. We had a wonderful time celebrating. And then after about a week, the kids came home and, and Marsh and I were going to stay around for a couple more days. What she didn't know was that I'd been saving money and I had made reservations at the Ritz-Carlton Bachelor Gulch there in the Vale Valley. Now, we don't usually stay at the Ritz-Carlton. That's kind of a little out of our league. And, but I'd been saving. I wanted to stay there and stay there in ski season. So we had three nights at the Ritz-Carlton at the Bachelor Gulch. And she had no idea until we took her over. Now, we went over there and I said, we got a reservation. We were staying up on the concierge floor and it was lovely. We had such a good time. But what really helped to make it special was the concierge. Her name was Emily Littlepage. Emily, it turned out, um, was from Oklahoma. And there she was working in Colorado with the Ritz. She was a graduate of OU. And we got to talking. She loved football. And we were talking all about um, the football team and the bowl games that were coming up. And, and I just remember Emily was such a, a fine young lady. And she went out of her way doing all kinds of special little things to, to really make our stay memorable. Well, when it finally came to an end and we got ready to leave, Emily said, look, if you come back to the Ritz, let me know when you're coming back. I mean, I'd love to get to see you again. Email me. I said, I'll do it. Well, while we were there, one of the things we learned was if you come in the off season, the rooms are about 75% cheaper. Now, I can't afford that. And so we immediately started kind of looking, and the low season takes place right before Thanksgiving. No one starts coming till Thanksgiving. And so later in that year, we made reservations to come back for several nights before Thanksgiving there at the Ritz. And as we got close, I emailed Emily, and I said, Emily, we're coming back. And she emailed back and said, that's wonderful. I'll be on vacation. I will miss you, but I hope you have a great time. And we were disappointed. Uh, we weren't going to get to see Emily. But I had booked us a room, and this time I got the standard room. Nothing fancy like for the, for the 30th wedding anniversary. It was the standard room, king-size bed, down lower in the hotel, looking down the valley rather than up the mountain. But we were staying at the Ritz. So we got there, we checked in, we went up to the registration desk, and they pulled up our reservation, and soon the manager said, we have your reservation, but we don't have that room for you. We have something different, if that's okay. All right. The concierge came along, and we followed him. They took us upstairs. We went up instead of going down. We went up high, and when they opened the door, there was this incredible vista and view, looking up the mountain. We were looking into this beautiful living room where there was sofa and chase lounge and desk, fireplace, balcony. You had a powder bath near the front door of your hotel room. We came in and then there was the bedroom suite. You went into another room and there was the beautiful bed and another sofa and chase lounge, another balcony. There were two walk-in closets in the bedroom. 
Now, how many clothes can you take to a hotel? I mean, a walk-in closet, two of them. And that was right beside this spa bath. I'm telling you, Emily had given us an upgrade. Emily had taken care of us. And we had a wonderful time. And I can tell you, 15 years later, I still remember the name of Emily Littlepage. Because you don't forget somebody who gives you an upgrade and helps you to make a memory. I think that's what the innkeeper did for Mary and Joseph. He gave them an upgrade. And in order to understand the greatest story ever told, you need to understand this part of the story. It turns out that Mary and Joseph obviously had come from Nazareth down to Bethlehem for the census. They knew it was going to be packed. It was going to be crazy in Bethlehem. They weren't the only ones coming. Lots of people would be coming. They were worried about finding a room. And then on top of that, Mary was nine months pregnant, and they were going to come all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem riding a donkey. That's enough to put you into labor. And sure enough, they get to Bethlehem, and she's feeling like it might be time, and they can't find anywhere to stay. We don't know just how many doors they knocked on, trying to ask, is there any room here in the inn? What we do know is they finally knocked on one where the innkeeper looked at them and he saw Mary and he said, I I think I can get you an upgrade. I got a cattle stall. Now that may not seem like an upgrade to you, but that's what you've got to understand. In Jesus' day, you didn't have an inn, hotels like the Ritz or like um, a Holiday Inn where you have a private room running water and your electronic key card. No, no. An inn was basically two rooms, a big room, wide open. It was a sleeping room. The women slept in one, the men slept in another. And so when you say the inn is full, you're meaning there is no more space to lay down on the floor. I mean, it is wall-to-wall people. Had they stayed in the inn, well, then Mary would have been in one room with the women. Joseph would have been in another room with the men. They would not have been together. And if Mary's going into labor, she's in this room with all these strange women she does not know. No, to say, I think I got an upgrade for you. I'll take you to the cattle stall. There you will be safe. You'll be out of the weather. You can be warm. You can have privacy. And the two of you can be together. That was an upgrade. That was a special gift. Here was an innkeeper who decided to care and to bless life. And he really did help to write the greatest story ever told. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, The Greatest Story Ever Told. We're looking at the birth of Jesus, and we're trying to look at the different characters to see how this story impacted their life. And it's why you and I keep telling the story of faith year after year, because just what happened to these people are the very same things that can still happen to each of us today today 
with the story. Today, I want us to look at the story of the innkeeper. A significant part of this great story. And I think there's two important things that you and I can learn. First of all, never get so busy that you fail to see the opportunity to love. There is no doubt about that this innkeeper was busy. Bethlehem was bustling. There was no room. There had to be all these other innkeepers who just did not have time and did not want to help, but one saw them. In other words, he sees Mary who is pregnant. He sees Joseph, a young couple about to have a baby, nowhere to stay. He sees the opportunity to show love. And I don't see some mean innkeeper who has his arms crossed going, I'm sorry we have no room. Go out to the cattle stall if you want. I see an innkeeper who's going, why don't you come out to the cattle stall? You'll be private, out of the weather. You can be together. I'll get you some blankets. I'll get you some water. What is it you think you may need? I can see this innkeeper going out of his way to take care of this young couple who is in great need because he sees the opportunity to love. And that's what creates this greatest story that is ever told. When you and I get to this point in the holidays, I mean, I I just look around and I think, I I know how crazy it is for us. We're still buying presents and you're going to parties and decorating the house and getting ready for travel and... If you're not careful, we're running really hard to try to get ready for Christmas. And it's the very reason you miss Christmas. You want to experience Christmas. Make sure you have the time to see the opportunity to show love. It was this last summer in July when I had a friend of mine who's a member of this church give me a story about North Platte, Nebraska. Now, when they gave me the story, I filed it away because I knew that I would be using it during the Christmas season. I've told you before about North Platte, Nebraska. Some of you will remember. It was about 15 years ago now. Bob Green wrote the book, um, Once Upon a Town. And it's a fascinating book. And if you have not read it, it's still available. And if you want to have your spirits lifted and and see who we can be as a nation, and go back and read Once Upon a Town. It's a true story of what took place in North Platte, Nebraska, back in 1941. It was December the 7th, 1941, that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and we were suddenly thrust into World War II. In those days immediately following the bombing of Pearl Harbor, there was such fear and anxiousness across America, We begin to have all these troop movements going on, troops going to the the coast there on the east coast to go to Europe, troops going to the west coast to go into the Pacific. No, it was a big time and everything was very hush-hush and quiet, secretive. We were trying to get our bearings and know what to do. Well, North Platte, Nebraska was a little stop in the middle of nowhere. And that's where the train would come through and have to stop and take on water. Sometimes it took 10 minutes maybe 20, never more than 30. But it was this little stop in the road. 
town of about 20,000 people. Well, on December the 17th, they heard a rumor. A rumor that Company B of the Nebraska National Guard was going to be coming through the town. And they were very excited. It was a chance to see their boys. The husbands, dads, fathers. They wanted to see their boys. So 500 of the town came down and was packing out this platform waiting for the train to come. And sure enough, December the 17th, 1941, this train rolls in and it is Company B of Kansas, not Nebraska. They had gotten down there onto the train station and they had all these special sandwiches made up, ham sandwiches and turkey sandwiches. They had Christmas presents. They had magazines. They had all these things to give to their their boys that they loved. And when they realized they weren't there, they were so disappointed. Until then they realized they're not our boys, but they're somebody's boys. And so they gave them the Christmas presents they had brought for their own family. They started giving the gifts. They gave them the magazines. They gave them all the food. They gave them all this stuff. And these soldiers who were being shipped out to they knew not where, oh, how much it meant to them to have somebody there to be expressing love to them. You could just see what it meant to the soldiers. And as they did it, then the people of North Platte saw what it meant to them and it meant then something to them. Well, the next day, it was a young lady named Ray Wilson who got to thinking about this and she got to praying about it and thought, I really think this is what God wants us to do. She began putting out word throughout North Platte and saying, we need to do this for all the soldiers who are coming through North Platte. We need to be ready to be here to bless them. So people started to volunteer and they started to get organized. And on Christmas Day, 1941, There on the platform, they had set up a canteen. They had a piano. They wound up being out there to have um, all kinds of food handout, all kinds of, uh, of goodies and sweets. They had magazines, cigarettes. They had it all. The girls were there on the, the, stay, the platform when the train would arrive so the guys could get off maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15. They'd strike up the music. They'd jitterbug and dance, give them a hug and kiss and goodbye back on the train and off they would go who knows where a short moment to just reach out and to share love well it was a powerful day and it so touched the people of North Platte that they never missed another train till the end of the war they would do it for almost four more years Sometimes there were 23 trains in a day. Five to 8,000 soldiers in a day. They would come as early as 5 a.m. and the last one would usually get there around midnight. They didn't miss a one. Having food, having gifts, having coffee or cold milk, ready to play, ready to dance ready to share just a moment of love as they then were moving on their way. Six million soldiers would come through North Platte and they were there to greet every one of them 
and they did it all at their expense. There was no money from the government or anywhere else. It was all donated by the people of North Platte. Well, that's about 75 years ago. Move forward to 2018. It was the 142nd uh, Division of the um, Field Artillery Battalion from the um, Arkansas National Guard. They had been up in Wyoming, and they had been doing emergency deployment training. They were up there for three weeks. They were camped out, sleeping on the ground. They were eating field rations, doing all this training. And finally, at the end of the three weeks, the training was over, and now they were going to be heading home. There was about 700 soldiers. The government had contracted with a company to provide about 21 buses over two days to move these soldiers from Wyoming back to Arkansas. It was the, the bus company who was kind of looking at the route they were going to wind up taking and going, how far would they go? Where are they going to need to get off and get a little something to eat? And they saw that North Platte would be a good stopping place. Well, they knew nothing about North Platte, and the bus company called, and they said, is, do you have anywhere that we could stop and these soldiers could get off and get some fast food, some sort of a snack, real quickly on our trip on our way to Arkansas? And the people of North Platte said, absolutely. And so the day came this last summer when they started loading up the boys from Arkansas and women now to be heading towards back to Arkansas. It would be 21 buses over a two-day period of time, but the lieutenant colonel said the very first bus would roll into town. And when they rolled into town, they weren't directed to a fast food restaurant. No, they were directed to the community center there in North Platte. And as they got near, they saw the streets lined with people holding up signs, banners. They were waving and cheering, welcome, thank you, our heroes. The lieutenant colonel said, we, we were stunned. We had never seen anything like this. They were directed into town through the crowds all the way to the event center. And when they came inside, steaks were charcoaling on the grills. And there was all kinds of turkey and there was ham and there was pies and deviled eggs and cakes. They knew a few of them were having birthdays. There were birthday cakes. Music was playing. The lieutenant colonel said, we were blown away. We had never experienced them. He said, I'd never heard of North Platte. And when they finally got through after two days and all the soldiers coming through, Lieutenant Colonel said, well, we have a budget for this. You need to let us know. Uh, what did all this cost? How much do we owe you? And they said, not a cent. You don't owe us anything. This is North Platte. To never be so busy that you don't see the opportunity to share love. It's what will put you in the Christmas spirit. It's what makes you a part of the greatest story ever told. An innkeeper who had many responsibilities saw a young couple who had great need, and he wanted to show love. He gave him an upgrade. 
So secondly, the miracle of Christmas is that God can take your love and use it to bless life in ways that you can never imagine. I believe that God will take the love that you offer and bless lives in this world in ways you could never dream. Isn't it interesting, this innkeeper, this innkeeper had no idea who this couple was. There was no thought this innkeeper would, oh, this is going to be Emmanuel, the Messiah, God with us. There was no concept of that. It was a young couple he saw in need. He didn't know who they were. He just wanted to show them love. And that's what God would take to create this scene that when you and I think about Christmas, what do we think about? We think about a manger. We think about a cattle stall gathered with wise men and shepherds. It seems so normal and natural. And it happened because there was a, an innkeeper who chose to show love. And God used it to create the greatest story ever told. I was reading about a, a man. Uh, his name was Kevin. Um, Kevin was um, a freelance videographer living out in, in uh, California. It turned out that he had a company that helps to go do all kinds of things like um, shooting uh, commercials or shooting things like a, a television show or a movie or, or whatever. But Kevin Phillips had been struggling for quite some time and finally had his video company off the ground and doing very well. It was several years ago now, but he was invited to be a part of shooting a documentary on a man named Paul Young. Some of you will recognize the name Paul Young. Paul Young wrote the book, The Shack. The Shack came out in 2006 and it became an international bestseller. It would sell 14 million copies in the end, it'd be made into a movie, and all that happened in about a six-year period of time. And it certainly changed Paul's life. Paul, in 2005, was barely hanging on. He was married, had several kids. He was working three jobs to try to keep a roof over their head and food on the table. His life was very tough. And when it came to Christmas in 2005... There was no money for Christmas presents for the children. There was no money to go take a trip to see relatives. They were still open to eat. And so what Paul did was he decided in 2005 for a Christmas present, he was going to write a book for his children and for family. And he said he wanted to write a book that would be all about God's redemption, about God's grace, about how God can give us hope in the midst of our darkest night. And so he started working on the book, and that book was The Shack. Well, needless to say, when it came out, it changed his life. You know, 14 million uh, books were being sold and all the things that were happening around it. And so in a six-year period of time, now Paul had become a very famous author. He had become very wealthy. He was living in a beautiful home now out there. And so they were going out to go interview him and do this documentary on all that had happened to Paul Young. Well, Kevin was excited about that. He was going to get to be a part of it. And they went and they were interviewing Paul. And they had done this for a number of days in his home. They'd gone to different places around the city that had special memories and meaning for him. When they finally came to the last day, they said, we want to go to the house 
where Paul wrote the shack back in 2005. Let's go where he wrote the book. So Kevin was given an address. He went by, he picked up his director, and they drove there that morning. It was a very modest neighborhood, a very modest home. And they, they, they got there, and the director said, Well, Paul's come a long way from here, hadn't he? And Kevin didn't say anything. He just had goosebumps. And he kept thinking, This looks so familiar. I feel like I've been here before. You see, what had happened was back in 2005, Kevin's business was finally doing well. But for years before that, his business had struggled. And he had had a Christmas where there was no money to buy presents for the children. There was no money to do anything other than keep a roof over your head and food on the table. He had struggled. And now the company had taken off and they were doing well. And he said to his wife, You know, this year, I'd like to do something for a husband who's struggling. I'd like to do something for a husband who really is finding it hard to make ends meet. And she said, I think that would be wonderful. So he talked to a friend who talked to a friend who talked to a friend. Finally, he had an address and said, this is a great guy, but he's working three jobs, can barely keep enough to keep a roof over their head. His name, I don't want to know. I don't want to know, he said. And I don't want him to know my name. I want to do this anonymous. I want to put a $100 bill in a white envelope. I want to somehow slip it under his door. And I hope and pray when he finds this, he'll feel like God is speaking to him. And Kevin said, I remember the night that I came. I found the address. I waited till I felt no one was looking. I slid the envelope underneath the door. And I remember walking away saying, Merry Christmas. Well, now he's looking at this house and thinking, I think this may have been it. But it was dark. And this was years ago. Maybe I'm not remembering. So he wanted to ask, but it had been anonymous. But his curiosity was killing him. So he went in to shoot that day at the house. And they'd been shooting all day. And he hadn't said a word. They were coming to the end. And finally, the curiosity won out. And he thought, how do I just kind of throw out something and see if he responds and find out? And so when they finally were through shooting, Paul was turning to walk away. And Kevin said, so Paul, do you remember that Christmas when someone slipped $100 under your door? And Paul turned around and his eyes were wide and he said, yes, it was him. How did you know? So Kevin told him what the story was, why he had done what he had done. And the two men hugged and began to cry. And Paul said, let me tell you the rest of the story. Here I had written this book as a gift to my children and to my family. But I had no money to get it printed off. And suddenly I received $100 under the door. And I felt like this was God speaking to me. I knew what I wanted to do with that $100. So I went down to Office Depot and I said, here's the book. Print off however many copies this will buy. And they printed off 15 copies. That's how much it would buy. And I gave it to my children. I gave it to a few friends. And they read it and gave it to friends who gave it to friends. 
And so it would go. That hundred dollars enabled me to give the gift I wanted. And in the end, it changed my life and the life of so many. You never know how the love you share is going to be used by God to bless life. There was an innkeeper whose name we do not know. An innkeeper who was able to see the opportunity and he shared love. And God used that to create the greatest story ever told. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.